Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of Smart Guard and Pig Flow. To learn how Pig Flow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, Hypor Genetics, Swine Robotics, SwineWeb.com, and Innovative Heating, the manufacturers of Hog Hearth. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today we're going to talk about why it's the best time ever to be in agriculture. And joining us is Joe Kearns. How are you doing today, Joe? We're doing great. Thanks. I'm excited to talk about this because I think a lot of people aren't aware as to how good things could be and are for us right now. And I'd like for you to start off just by answering that question. Why is now the best time ever to be in agriculture? Uh, it's a good question, and I do happen to agree with you on this one. So so let's back up. Unless you are a charity uh, case, the, the reason that you are in business is to make money. Uh, and so if we, if we take a look at ourselves, and a lot of us look at us as, you know, what do we do for a living? And, and, and we're hog farmers, or we're, or we're, we're farmers, uh, we row crop farmers. Uh, and the truth of the matter is, that is the vector that you have employed in order to make money. And I happen to applaud it and find it in a a very favorable situation that we don't just uh, go out to the barn and do chores and keep our head down and then and then hope the sun shines. It is uh, a, a very very profitable landscape that we've got going forward. And I want to extend this. Uh, it goes beyond any one species. This is all of animal agriculture, and this is all of agronomy too. I see nothing except an incredible boon that's coming for the entire Midwest, uh, from, both from a land uh, uh, a land perspective on return as well as a livestock perspective on return. So then when we look at when we look at pork production, what are the things that are really stacking up in favor of the industry, whether some might actually see it as good or not? Like when we look at building costs, yeah, they're so high. Mm-hmm. But the prevention of, because of those costs really helps us ensure that supply doesn't far exceed demand. You're exactly right. And so let, let's kind of break this down. So number one uh, is coming through COVID, we were all confused. And, and in 2020, when we were in the throes of, of what do I do with large animals, I can't get them into the packer, is uh, producers had to make some absolutely horrendous decisions ab- about what to do to maintain uh, their operations and, and continue on and whether to continue on uh, within their operations. That that has evolved. That worm has turned. And I think once we get into some of those protectionist type of environments is we're always fearful. What could that happen again? Could it be worse next time? And, and I certainly hope that's not the case, but that fear that was instilled in us uh, has created a few things. You brought up one very, very important piece. Uh, the construction costs. If I want to put up a building, I don't care whether it's a sow unit or a finisher, you're going to be someplace in the neighborhood of 30% more expensive than you were pre-pandemic. We're going to start to throw on to this that if you are a contractor for, for anyone, uh, those contract uh, uh, feeding rates have not gone up any. If you're, if you're at $38 
uh, per headspace for barn rent, uh, it's suddenly not moving up to $45 to cover the nut. And the reason is, is because the, the same folk that, that would be paying you $45 probably already have 95% of their buildings already contracted. And that, and that last incremental unit would cascade back across all of them. And so there's, we're, we're at this, uh, uh, we're not going to get a contract barn rate that's going to be uh, very attractive. The construction costs are higher. Interest rates are going higher. And so therefore, it is no longer an economic model uh, that works. Uh, let's throw on the packing community. With the uh, uh, ASF being at the doorstep, sitting in the Dominican Republic, they feel a little bit vulnerable, and I don't blame them. I don't think there's anything nefarious, but there's no great contracts being offered either right now. And so, we, so we're in a situation where, where we've had some disease challenge that's mitigated what the herd looks like. Any construction that we've had has largely been Prop 12, which actually decreases productivity on a, on a footprint within a farm. You've, you've got uh, uh, the COVID uh, scenario that's actually bumped up demand, strangely enough. Who saw that one coming? And nobody's willing to expand. So we've got all of these forces at play, and it doesn't look like it's going to go away anytime soon. I, I, you know, I was sharing earlier that our projections right now are that 2022 is the second most profitable year ever for pork producers, second only to the PED year of 2014. And then the prior year to that, I mean, the prior second was... 2021, right? 2021. You got it. Yeah. So we're going to put together two very, very favorable years. Uh, when we visit with the banking community, we're healing up balance sheets that might have been wounded uh, very quickly. We are uh, in, a, in a favorable scenario. And almost all of the producers that we work with also uh, probably have a land base underneath them is, is how they got started. Uh, Iowa State University came out and said in 2021, our land value was up 29%, almost 30% across the board. And that's a windfall, Matthew, that goes, it hits your balance sheet, it, it, your, my net worth goes up, but I don't pay any taxes. I don't get a W-2, I don't get a 1099 on that windfall, but I can borrow against it. And so wealth within, within animal agriculture as well as the agronomic side of it that, that generally balance out these operations is just being tremendous. And, and we can go uh, across other species. You've got poultry that's been compressed on its production based on some reproductive problems. Those aren't going away. Those aren't com coming back anytime soon. You've got mechanization within plants uh, that, that has not rolled out as smoothly as we thought. Labor, of course, has been a huge problem across every single industry. I don't care if it's in a barn or in a plant. And on the uh, cattle side of it, you've had a drought uh, in the in large in those reproductive areas of the West. The cow-calf herd is also uh, uh, coming down. We've got more heifers coming into slaughter. We've got no end in sight to a relatively constrained protein supply and a demand situation uh, that is good, if not excellent. And it doesn't even stop there, right? I mean, most producers with that land also grow crops, and we've mm -hmm. got the renewable diesel, we've got the carbon credits. Can you talk about even outside of animal agriculture itself, there are great things happening. Yeah, yeah, and let's talk about this a little bit. So, uh, you know, the, the carbon pipeline is, is something I'm, I'm not going to address right now. That's a, a, another topic for another day. But renewable diesel is not biodiesel. The, those they're very two completely different things. Uh, you've got something called a 45Q. Your audience can Google what that looks like, but it's a government-sponsored program uh, that starts to set what the value of a ton of carbon looks like, and that's kind of the genesis of a lot of these different programs that are going on in the energy sector. 
But the bottom line is we are running gung-ho to turn soybean oil into diesel fuel. And uh, uh, when it's done, it's chemically identical to, uh, to normal diesel fuel, to petroleum-based diesel fuel. It does not have some of the negative handling characteristics that biodiesel has experienced with the clouding under uh, 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 the, the colder temperatures once it hits. Uh, and because of this, uh, you've, you've already seen uh, another boon going on inside of, of, of the agronomy side uh, as it relates to soybean processing facilities being announced. We had another one that, that was announced yesterday to the point where we're going to bump up soy processing capacity in the United States by roughly a third. That's going to lead to a huge demand uh, for soybeans and soybean oil. Uh, it's going to mean cheaper soybean meal uh, for animal agriculture, and it's an opportunity for uh, farmers to invest in, in some vertical integration one way or another. If I'm a, if I'm a crop farmer, I, I invest in, in further processing. If I'm a livestock producer, I'm going backwards and investing in my uh, input manufacturer. This is just a really, really nice time that we've got going on. And it's a dynamic that's going to change the face of agriculture similar to what ethanol did starting in 2005. Except this one's going to happen faster. We've already got all the infrastructure built. All the refiners are already built down in Houston. We had to build ethanol plants. Yeah, that, this is exciting. I think one thing I'd like you to hit on for listeners, they might be hearing this and saying, well, yeah, I mean, things are good, but my feed costs, oh, they're, they're mm-hmm. high. How are we going to see that change over the next couple of years? Or how do you, how do you guys look at that? Well, uh, two ways. Number one, uh, first thing I do is acknowledge, yes, your feed costs are high, and for, for, for the foreseeable future, they're going to stay high. And I'm going to call that the next couple of years or so. They will remain high. And the revenue side is going to remain high enough in order to justify it, that, that if you have to be right on one thing, inside of pork production, get the hog market right. High hogs will cure every single ill, and I can prove this out in a ratio, that if we were to double the price of everything, double the price of soybean meal, double the price of corn, and double the price of pigs, is your revenue would go up about $100 per pig. The, the, the proportions are, are phenomenal uh, of how important it is for the revenue side of our business in order to drive everything as it relates to profitability. Uh, yes, crop prices are going to remain high. Uh, and I think that's kind of ushering in this whole renewable diesel thing. But keep in mind, the other thing that I said is we're going to get to a point where we are overproducing soybean meal relative to our soybean oil demand. And that's going to lead some very inexpensive soybean meal. Our entire matrix of, of, of what that diet looks like, the constituents of the diet are going to change precipitously starting in about 2024. A lot more soybean meal, a lot less synthetic amino acids, and no fat. So I'd like to segue this over to the question, how do we not screw this up? And that can go two ways. I'd like to break it into two ways. The first being, what should we not be doing? And the second is, what should we be doing to take advantage of the opportunity against what should we not be doing to just destroy what we have. And and if you could start on either end of that, that'd be awesome. Yep. So let's start. What should we be doing? And we should not be expanding. And I think we've already kind of addressed that somewhat. Even if you wanted to expand, I'm not sure that you could. I'm not sure that you could physically find the materials or physically find the labor to expand in any, in any form or fashion 
that would represent sanity. The, the premiums that you're going to have to pay for the risk that you're taking are well beyond the equilibrium of most producers. And that's why we're kind of in, in what I call this profitable stall. So number one, what don't we do is, is expand. What do we do is take advantage of new tools that you have at your avail. And one of the best ones, probably the best one I've seen in my career, and I've been doing this for 35 plus years, is livestock insurance. In 2020, uh, the Trump administration quietly issued a new set of uh, uh, of subsidies for the livestock side of it that the dairy sector had been enjoying for the previous three years or so. Um, and what that does is it provides a, a subsidy for options essentially that you can that you can trade through through uh, approved livestock insurance providers. And we're one of those, and we we do a lot of this stuff uh, that that gives you a running head start on your next best alternative. Up to fifty percent of the cost of the premium is subsidized, and it's just Matthew. It is such a good deal that it's got to be the the first spot that you start with a risk management program is is what what am I going to do insurance wise and then I build structure around that so what we don't do is expand what we do do is take advantage of the tools that are at our avail so i'm a I'm a producer and I have ten to twelve thousand sows or less this time of profitability is it fairly equal? across the playing field or do I need to be looking at things a bit differently than an integrator might um, through this time frame? What, what can I do as a small producer versus what can I do as a big producer to make the most of this opportunity? Uh, well, let's start with that is because in the past that you might say that the integrated producer, or those that own a packing plant, have a running head start because of the discrepancy between the price of meat and the price of pigs. Uh, we've seen that uh, close uh, in, in a very, very precipitous fashion. We've only inverted live hogs over top of, of uh, uh, the cutout value twice. Both times it's in the middle of the summer. We're on the cusp of doing it, and we're at February 1st plus or minus right now that you've got a cutout trading in the low 90s and you've got cash hogs trading at about 90. And so the uh, the current situation that we're in is not picking winners and losers by size. Certainly, the more animals that you have when we're in a profitable situation, the more money that you're going to make. But the size and scope of your operation in relationship to where do I sit in the industry is much less discriminatory than where it has been in the past. This is This is a rising tide that's going to lift all ships in the harbor. That's exciting to hear. I'm sure a lot of people are excited to hear that. When, it's a really good time. Yeah. So would you give us a little bit about your background? What got you into sure. this? Sure. Uh, so so uh, uh, it's kind of a goofy story. Uh, but when I was 13 years old, I knew what I wanted to do. Um, and, and when I deal with today's youth, when they're so indecisive, it's a little foreign to me, but, uh, uh, I had a paper route. I, I was, uh, saved my money. I actually bought stock uh, when I was 13, started investing in the market. Um, I, I had a various, uh, other entrepreneurial enterprises for, for a young man. As soon as I got my license, I had a couple of lawnmowers and hired, hired my, my high school buddies in order to work with me. I grew some sweet corn on the side, but I always kind of knew what I wanted to do. So uh, going to school at Iowa State was a very easy decision uh, to get into the agricultural program. Uh, I came out of school in the mid-80s where all the smart kids went to work for the chemistry side of it, uh, the business, and I went to work for ADM and was happy to have a job at $19,500 a year, and I was thrilled uh, back in those days in order to have that. 
uh, uh, got involved uh, with with grain trade and, and the logistics and fell in love with it. Had an opportunity to actually move to Chicago uh, to get my floor badge, and at that time, that was that was the good days. So the, the the pit was roaring. It was all the open outcry, and I fell in love with it. Uh, uh, from there, I went to uh, Premium Standard Farms down in uh, Princeton, Missouri. Was eventually acquired by the Smithfield operation, and then uh, uh, for the 15 years prior to starting my own business, I worked with and for Jeff Hansen, and that was uh, the the most educational opportunity humanly possible. One of the smartest individuals I've ever been around in my life. And he was kind enough to allow me to learn uh, uh, at his feet, if you will. Our offices are right next door to one another. And so we got to communicate quite often. Uh, but it was a great opportunity. Then 2008 uh, went out on our own to try to take some of those disciplines that, uh, that work well uh, into a more scalable form and into the smaller producers that didn't have my function on staff. And we kind of served as a surrogate in that role. Uh, currently, there are 19 of us. We are based out of Ames, Iowa, um, and try to serve as much of animal agriculture as we can with a, a, a passion to uh, make money for those that uh, that we get the privilege of working with. It's a lot of fun. So is there something about you that most people you work with or your colleagues do not know? Oh, I'm a licensed <laughs> pilot. I own fire truck. I've got all kind. I've got all kinds of quirks that are that are uh, uh, come into play. Um, uh, I want to be a lifelong learner. I'm never contented with anything. The word contentment and complacent sit next to one another, both in the dictionary as well as life. Um, I, we, we try to live life with a zeal and a zest uh, of experimenting and discovering what could be and, and uh, uh, you know, what, what your God-given skills will allow you to explore and to experience. I, I love to travel with those that, that I love. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a fun life. It's a fun, we, li- we live life very robustly. So when we, when we look at our industry right now, labor is a big challenge and that means some people are assuming roles that they might not have felt ready for. So I'd like to ask you to share a book or a leadership book or something around leadership uh, that somebody could turn to if they are trying to to kind of learn. I'm not even sure if it's a book, but it's more of an, a, a, an approach or a thought process in life. And that is, is that, that authority is very rarely granted. Nobody just kind of bestows upon you of, of here, you're in charge of this. It's almost always taken. And, and when I say that, it's not as if you're going to steal it from anybody, but if you simply raise your hand, if you're in a corporate environment, you can still be an entrepreneur, raise your hand and take, take responsibility for any project. And I'll give you a quick example of this is when I was working for, for Jeff Hansen and I was selected as we were going through a pretty big expansion phase. And with that comes, comes kind of the, uh, we don't have as many people as what we need in order to fulfill some duties. I would raise my hand for anything. I, I ended up trading all of our propane deck. I didn't know the first thing about the propane situation, but you do it. You just start <laughs> taking things on uh, th- that you don't have any idea what in the heck you're doing. Ask enough questions and you're going to learn. And sooner or later, you can start to put the pieces of the puzzle together. 
of, of what's happening with energy and what are those byproducts and what are the precursors in order to manufacture amino acids and how does that play back into the formulation and what's the price of soybean meal and fat and DDGs on performance. And you start to put together this mental picture where you go, wait a second, I know what's going to happen next. And as soon as you get to that point of, I think I know what's going to happen next, that's when, that's when the real fun starts. And so it's educating yourself, taking advantage of every single opportunity, uh, uh, not going to the parties at night, not, not sitting up and watching Leave It to Beaver reruns. Go educate yourself. Read a book. Take it. Volunteer. Uh, uh, be on a farm. Do something that's out of your comfort zone. Uh, and, and eventually it will reward you. It'll all come back together. The karma of life won't allow it to happen any other way. It will come back together to your benefit. Do you remember a time in your life and career where you did step out into a very vulnerable or uncomfortable situation? And if so, would, would you be able to talk about that? Sure, sure. So there's one, the one time in specific where it's like, holy smokes, what did I just do? Uh, I was working at Archer Daniels Midland, and we were at a, at a processing plant. I was working in Des Moines, Iowa at the time. And uh, if you've ever been around this, uh, you, you bring in soybeans, you crush them, you give them a, a flush of what's called hexane. It's a, a petroleum derivative, very, very volatile substance, mind you. Uh, but it's got a huge affinity to oil, so that's how you get the oil out of the soybeans. Well, anyway, we had a hexane leak that went on at the plant. And, and when you're a plant, a hexane leak leads to a potential explosion. And so when all the alarms started to sound, I jumped up. I had no authority to do anything that I did. I jumped up. I just started ordering people around. We had trucks coming. We had truckers. We were getting, we were calling people that were going to bring in beans, telling them to stay away from the plant. And all it all settled down in about 15 minutes. But after 15 minutes, when, when finally your heart rate starts to decrease and it's like, we've got this all under control, we're not going to explode uh, uh, at that point in time, is you look around and go, what did you just do? It's like, I don't know, but I just ordered everybody to do exactly what they did. And they listened for some odd reason. And it was, it was kind of a telling moment about taking that authority that I just shared with you earlier when it's not bestowed upon you and running with it. So I have a feeling we, we've already gotten it. But one thing I always ask is, what is one golden nugget, a life lesson that you'd like to leave with the audience? And, and if it is what you've talked about, we can we can skip this here, but uh, do you have another life lesson or golden nugget? We'd love to hear it. If it's anything, it's reiterating is becoming a lifelong learner and never being content, never allowing yourself to uh, fall into the in, into the common folk role. Is is I think that is where uh, life is not lived. I think that you've got to be living on the edge, otherwise you're taking up too much of the road. And that's uh, uh, something that we're trying to do. It's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to be pretty because you are going to make mistakes. But we always learn more from our mistakes than we do from our victories. I'm not afraid of making mistakes. I know I'm going to make them. And 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 having that alacrity and that lack of fear allows you to participate into life. And 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 when things don't go well, it's like, okay, what did I learn and then using that as a building block to the next thing take a chance i I suppose would be kind of the uh, all-encompassing mantra if you will well thank you joe for joining us on the popular pig podcast it's been a real pleasure to have you as a guest we have learned so much in a short period of time and we thank you very much all right happy to do it call me back anytime Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, 
please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. 